Welcome to our podcast. Welcome. This is uh, Film Juxtaposed, and we're going to be looking at The Age of Innocence from 1993. And we're going to be also looking at Glass Onion from 2022. I am Javier Cabarrith. And I'm Ben Ryder. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Film Juxtaposed. There you go. That's your intro. Be fairly good. That'll be fairly good. And thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. But that's is that the end? Are we Yeah. I told you it's only gonna be two minutes long. Because <laughs> uh, I was gonna say we are gonna discuss uh plot points. So spoilers will be there will be spoilers. Let's talk about these films and their genres. Okay, so the genre of The Age of Innocence is very obviously a period piece, a romance, and a drama. Yes, Glass Onion in this case is a, is a whodunit. But is it? But is it? I'm not sure. I think it's more of a comedy. Well, I mean, I mean, it does have comedy elements, of course. Uh... But don't you think that the film is built towards a punchline of, spoiler, the burning of the Mona Lisa? Yeah. Because that's not a whodunit, really. Who is the whodunit, really? Well, it does have the structure of a whodunit, though, in a certain way. Yeah, but it's like, to me, it's just a series of punchlines. Whether it's a class-based joke, money joke, celebrity joke. So we don't even have the... I don't even have the genre of the film already. You've got yours. Great way to start. I mean, I guess in the same way, I could rewind and be like, The Age of Innocence maybe isn't that simple. Is there a crime committed? Maybe the Age of Innocence is the whodunit, and Glass Onion is the period piece, especially with those wigs. Interesting take. I mean, it will be a period piece, eventually. Uh, Yeah, it's already a period piece. Oh, wow. (laughs) I thought we were going to be nice to the films. I did like it, I did like it. But someone needs to be prosecuted for the use of those wigs. Oof. Okay. Okay, you know what? I'm actually going to be very smart about this. I'm going to use the cheat sheet, which exists on all of these things. It's a Google check moment. A whodunit is a complex plot-driven variety of detective fiction in which the puzzle regarding who committed the crime is the main focus. So I guess it's worth asking you, what is the crime in Glass Onion? Well, it depends on at which point of the film we are looking at the film. Uh, because first we have the build-up to the potential murder of Edward Norton's character, which doesn't happen. But then we get Dave, B- Dave Bautista's character axed off, uh, which that, that would be the first crime. But then, you know, we find out through various flashbacks the... Um, the complexity of the actual situation in the film and how there's another crime to be solved, which is the murder of... Um, oh, I need to open... One second, I need to open a cast list here. It's an IMDb check moment. I, I just had a look on IMDb. They don't actually have both character names there. Yes. So, um, the other crime being the murder of one of Janelle Monet's characters. I mean, I still kind of think of it more as a puzzle film rather than a whodunit. Well, 
you know, if we if we look at the if we look at the definition of the who done the puzzle, the word puzzle is there, isn't it? Um, yeah, you are right. It's another Google check moment. The puzzle film genre, where viewers must piece together the storyline due to non-linear or somehow the fuck you say that word obfuscating form. Obvious? What? I don't. Yeah. Uh, obfuscating? I don't even. Obfuscating. Yeah, there we go. I mean, you're very good at these words. Um, yeah, so it's when the audience puts together a nonlinear plot or blah blah word. Flush mm-hmm. is an example of new climate of complexity and difficulty, and other types of films similarly play with aesthetics as a trend away from the invisible style of some films, which I think might be slightly true with the editing of Glass Onion. Okay. Specifically, like, if you think about it, it sort of creates a discord whenever it does those glass, you know, lowering on the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. That's a very much, like, that's a formalist film editing moment. It disrupts the reality of the scene. Because there is a version of Glass Onion that could have been done that was in a linear form. You could have just skipped the beginning. It could have opened on the island. And then, as you said, Dave Batista could have died, and that could have been the first whodunit. Yes, but we wouldn't have known the characters. You do need that introduction of the characters at the beginning, because I, I think it's a very, uh, it, it, it's done quite cleverly. Um, you know, through the through the, the the solving of the puzzle of the first puzzle, uh, showing these characters, just showing, not telling what they are, because you know you could have easily just had a narrator. Um, saying things, which I think is also, it can be, if it's done well, a valid way of introducing characters like they did, for example, in See How They Run, which is another whodunit. Let's talk about casting. So earlier, you mentioned the opening puzzle of Glass Onion, Mm -hmm. which is loaded with celebrities, including and Angela Lansbury. Uh, Yeah, Stephen Sondheim is there as well. Both the, the the late Angela Lansbury and the late Stephen Sondheim, and I, I I my heart broke a little bit when I saw that. Are there any characters in the film that are not celebrities? Oh, I mean, depends on what you consider celebrity. I mean, I think the extras <laughs> were definitely not celebrities. Well, weren't that many extras, were they? Uh, no, the, you know that that party scene. At the beginning, uh, um, there there were still some names in there. There were, there were. Yeah. In terms of casting, though, I think it's quite comfortable to say that Glass Onion is a bit of a not to interrupt your discussion about extras. Mm. No, not at all. But it is a bit of a what's the name of that magazine? People. Mm, the one with the fashion. Vogue. Glass Onion's casting is like a Vogue runway. Okay. Interesting. Celebrity after celebrity after celebrity. Fair, fair, I guess. Do you feel the same about The Age of Innocence? Or is it because it's from 1993? I guess that's what I was about to say. The thing is, we yes, they are the celebrities that we know of now. They're very contemporary, but so were the other ones backing in the 90s, right? I mean, need the leads. So you've got Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder. Richard E. Grant's there. Yep. I mean, Geraldine Chaplin would have been quite a recognisable name. She still is. Miriam Margoyles, Sean Phillips, Sean Phillips. 
I'm mispronouncing one of these. I'm not going to correct you. I'm um, I'm Spanish. <laughs> but like, I kind of get the sense that the majority of that cast, I suppose, there were extras mostly, weren't they? Yes. How did you feel about the casting? Apparently, in the book, the women of the Age of Innocence have the reverse hair color. Oh, well, that's so. Did, did people riot or something? I don't think anyone has ever rioted for the Age of Innocence. Well, there you go. They're different, you know, they've rioted for other Scorsese films, but not this one. <laughs> um, I think the casting was quite good. Um, I liked, I personally liked the performances all around in Age of Innocence. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. I thought the casting was quite solid. And, you know, it's a very specific uh, way of acting and... You know, you've got that accent. Uh, what is it? The um, mid 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 Atlantic, something like that. It was called. I've I've forgotten. But um, yeah, no, I think I think they were they all did a a great job, and I think they all fit well in the characters. Let's recast the lead male. If we could revive any actor, I would say that the one that could replace both lead males quite easily would be Humphrey Bogart. Oh, I could see that. And now a spin-off film. Would you like to see, if one could have had it, another Knives Out film just built around Janelle Monet's character? What would be the crime? I don't know. Well, it wouldn't be a murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to wonder if there'll be a third film that's like in a different, you know, like, if the first film was a traditional whodunit, and this is more of a puzzle film, is there a different subgenre we're going to get? I don't know. I would, I would really like that, though. Um, I, I would like to see it uh, as a thriller or some sort of horror. Ooh, yeah, no, a horror. I mean, to be honest with you, the title Knives Out kind of leans more to horror, so why don't we actually have a Knives Out horror? Yeah. A slasher. Let's have a slasher. Oh, my God. <laughs> Benoit Blanc, off the rails. Yes. <laughs> you know, without being too cheeky, we could have a scream. I mean, it opens all sorts of doors. You've got a scream queen option there. I, yeah, I was going to say like something along the lines of scream, but but put Benoit Blanc in it. Like literally, take Scream Six, which is already was all right. It's already been shot. Take Scream Seven, put Benoit Blanc in Scream Seven. Neve Campbell, get her back. There you go. Get her back. We can have Scream Seven. It could be a nice combo film. You know, I, I would, I would, uh, I would watch that. You know, um, no, no more Freddy versus Jason. Just Benoit Blanc and Scream. Thank you very much. Miles Bron doesn't die, does he? Miles Bron does not die. He will get his comeuppance uh, after the film is finished. He could have Scream. You know, we could have Scream Seven, where he actually is wearing the mask, and you know, has gone completely off the rails. Ah, oh, but having him as a villain again, boring. Oh, it could be like Scream One, where there's two of them. Oh, spoilers. Spoilers for cre for Scream, people. We apologize for this uh, 20, 25-year-old spoiler. We are sorry for the spoilers. These films have a bit of style. Well, with Glass Onion, you've got very glossy photography. In The Age of Innocence, you don't really... I mean, we do. it is a high-end photography style, but it's like... it's. Heavily overworked. There's even some antique lenses in there. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, you know, one of the of the things that really caught my eye was those moments when 
when he would use this sort of circly thing. This is me talking with my very technical language that I have, definitely. The circly thing, to, to make it so that the subjects on the frame are very much, you know, the rest was more in shadows. Is that is that a post thing or is that a a, a thing that happens whilst filming? I'm going to take a solid guess that was practical as in it was done on set. Yeah, right. I thought so. I thought so. Either an, an antique lens or they must have customized a lens out of one of the are they called what are they called opera glasses? Oh, um opera binoculars. Yeah, you're already so much better at these words than I am. <laughs> I don't know. I just like they are just binoculars. But also, we do have the sort of like um, the editing style of both films are quite distinct. We've got a touch of stop motion going on in the Age of Innocence. Mm-hmm. I'm going to describe that opening sequence in the opera house as containing stop motion. How so? When it jumps between the different audience members. How so? I'm fairly certain that those are still frames. Oh. But I'm certain that that's like sort of like early 1900s style photography, as in what would have been like a slow exposure. Oh, no way. And then, of course, you've got the similar kind of trickery going on in Glass Onion with the brilliant montages built around people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was it always a lighter? It was obviously the phone noise as well that used to set off the sort of sequence that would lead to the glass dropping. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, Dave Bautista's... Bautista. There you go. Dave Bautista's character. Um, he had his Google notifications on, which I learned were a thing in that film. <laughs> Time to talk about the impact of these films. Which brings to a nice moment to talk about impact of the film. In, uh, in a very broad sense or in a very individual sense? As you wish. Did you have an emotional reaction to The Age of Innocence? Yes, I did. Um, I had some gut reactions to it. Uh... I, at times, was uh, angry and disgusted at the, at, at the character of Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, even though I'm supposed... I, I know it's supposed to be this, like, love story and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Something, something just rubbed me the wrong way. I'll join you about that. I thought Daniel Day-Lewis does a really great job in that role. Oh, 100%. What? Oh, 100%. But it's definitely similar to several other roles that he's played, such as Phantom Thread. Oh, do you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was quite similar in a certain way where it's sort of like, it impacts the viewer in a negative way towards his representation. I mean, I guess that, that, but what, what, what I wonder is, is that, is that the, the intention? Because, you know, we're talking about a, a book from the, 1920s um is it the intention or is it supposed to be this oh love story uh, i i i kind of want to think that it isn't that 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 the intention is for you to to think about it to be like you know what is no i i know what you mean and i agree i mean at the end of the day the restrictions in place on the characters in the Age of Innocence are largely to do with social rules and class structure of the era. Also moral, morals. Yes, no, of course. Ethics, all that. And the impact of Glass Onion? Because I'll admit, I was made angry by Glass Onion 
in a good way because I was obviously rooting for certain characters. Mm-hmm. I agree. The ending took that away, and I was a bit—I don't want to say impacted by ego, but I still—I've said it already, and I'm going to say it again. I still take issue with the representation of the Mona Lisa being burned. Mm-hmm. Um, like I—I I, get—I get what you mean with that. I think. Um... It's like poor Mona Lisa. She hasn't done anything, uh, but it's a bit like the um, the protesters who who chucked soup at uh, paintings. Uh, you know, it's like it it is a painting. It, it, it maybe it's it's more about it, at that point. It's more about what it represents and not about the art itself. I would say because I am you know I, I'm I, I love I love art and I and I love the the things that have existed throughout history of art, but. You know, I think the point is 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 more about um, what it represents and and the action of burning it. Am I getting anywhere with this? I don't even know. Save me. No, no, no. I mean, literally, all you said is completely irrelevant. Um, and I'll clarify my point. For me, glass onion was not a spoof. Mm-hmm. It was set in like the real world in a certain context. Yeah, and that sequence. That particular ending to me drifts into spoof material. Okay. For me, at that moment, moves further away. If if one was to put knives out on a um, a scale and put on the other side something like the naked gun, mm-hmm. the scale suddenly starts to tip towards the naked gun, kind of you know spoof material rather than yeah knives out reality. Though I guess actually looking back, the first film. Which, of course, they're not meant to be paired together, but they're definitely set in the same world. The first film does have a questionable car sequence that is not realistic. Am I right? I, th- I seem to recall. I, I only watched it the one time, even though I liked it. No, I liked it, but like I definitely remember there being a car sequence, which was completely unbelievable. So maybe I'm being a little judgmental on Glass Onion. Maybe it never was set in the real world, and it is kind of a, a spoof experience. And I've What I find funny is how... The characters in Glass Onion at any other point in time, I think, like many, like a few, I don't know, 15 years ago, these characters would have been very caricaturesque. Um, and yet, today, they're very much very believable and very real, I think. Yes, you know, there is a, the, the few exaggerations to prove a point, I guess, but these people, I completely believed that they existed in this world, sadly. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's quite disturbing. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. The fact that we're like, "Yep, this is a real person." I know, I know someone like this. That is a that's a very sad statement. Though, so, in a different context, again, not to pick on the Knives Out franchise and demand more sequels. I demand one. Um, because I think the Scream crossover is something we definitely want to see. But one hundred percent. I don't. How do we make this happen? <laughs> I'd like to see a um, a Knives Out film that doesn't deal with the middle class. The bourgeois or the ultra rich. Um, I'd like a Knives Out film that's like working class, because it's starting to feel a little stuffy. We can definitely have uh, Benoit do a sort of like murder mystery or whatever for free. He can be charitable. Yeah, but then maybe the uh, the wrong message comes across. Maybe you know if you're establishing your if 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 it's being established in a way that these are the sort of people that would uh that would be able to to hire a a private investigator like even even in knives out you know you had um 
you had the the character uh, Ana de Armas's character, who was the working class character, um, in that, and she, you know, she gets okay, spoilers for Knives Out. She 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 gets the house. She wins everything. She she wins in the end. So we just have uh, the the very the, the very uh justified vilification of the higher class yes no, no no but both films the mise-en-scene the content of the actual film setting is opulent yes i'd like to see a film that doesn't contain opulence are you like me developing a celebrity fatigue that means that you actually filter out details about people that are just irritating um does that make sense do you like, mean as in as in filter out uh, stuff from the characters? I'm going to describe it as the Kardashian filter. Something filtered mm. where you just go, these people have no skills in their lives, and you just filter out whatever they're saying because it's whatever flavor of the month they're into. I guess maybe in real life, uh, not in films though. Um, in films, it, out. Like... it was activated whilst watching this film. Maybe Glass Onion almost, for me at least, lands at the wrong time. It could be, maybe it is a spoof, and that's the genre that it actually is. But the problem is it's a spoof of the era that it's set in. Right, right. So... In, so it's released whilst, I guess maybe then it becomes a parody rather than a spoof. But it definitely borders on, yeah, like I wonder if maybe I'd enjoyed in 20 years' time, assuming, yeah, assuming celebrity culture doesn't continue on the current wavelength, which is probably unlikely. So interesting comparison. Does The Age of Innocence portray the storyline to do with celebrities of that era? Oh, 100%, doesn't it? Like, it's, it's all about that. It's all about how these families, the, this family, this powerful family in New York, just, you know, they, they run the whole thing. They, it's all about the uh, upper class and they are the celebs of their time. And everybody knows uh, everybody's gossip, um, a bit like celebs right now. Celebs? Celebs. celebs. Am I doing that right? There you go. I'm Spanish. I get a pass. Yeah, I wonder so if, if uh, regardless of the fact that the technology behind that film would have been absolutely mind-shocking to an audience member of the era that the Age of Innocence is set in, mm-hmm. a viewer of that period would have uh, also had a celebrity filter go on whilst watching the Age of Innocence. Yeah, I, th- I, I think, I think, yeah, like maybe those, um, you know, maybe they were very uh, defined type of characters that you could see. I mean, you know, the book was released when in that in the time of that when the flash forward happens i guess when the at the endings so 1920s so you know maybe it, it it was in its own way partly a spoof as well but in that sense with the time having passed cuz you're poking fun at those uh, people from 50 years ago um maybe maybe it it, it it feels like a very like all the things feel very alien uh, uh, on on the social structures and everything. Uh, I don't know how alien they would have felt in the 1920s, to be honest. So we've taken the Age of Innocence and Glass Onion, and we've juxtaposed them. 
did you actually think that there was a contrast between the two or did it turn out that there was just like more similar things between them funnily enough i think there was uh there were some very happy coincidences that made them in a sense quite similar uh despite the difference in genre and the overall difference in story thematically i think it uh, they are they are closer than than we could have hoped for yeah no definitely and with them being chosen at random it was shy of the runtime of both films yep <laughs> actually no even the runtime overlapped there's a lot of similarity between them well it's been a fun comparison it has and i'm looking forward to the next yep that we won't reveal just yet because we want you to come back, please. <laughs> because we need to still choose the two films at random. Chosen one. I've chosen one already. So. It's time for you to choose one. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, have a good day. We'll, we'll see you soon. Well, we won't see you. We'll just, you'll hear us soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>